Thanks, Joanna. And uh, we are in this series, Modern Questions, Ancient Answer. And uh, we're having a fantastic time. So if you've, if you've not been with us for the past few weeks, can I uh, encourage you to check us out online? Some of the, the talks that we've had uh, are just fantastic. Today is all about this question, can I forgive? One of life's probably greatest challenges, particularly for us as Christians, do we live that out today? And um, we're looking at the, the story of Joseph and in a moment, we're going to look at the passage from Genesis chapter 42. Uh, so you can get that ready if you'd like to. Uh, but first of all, let me just give you a summary of where we're at in the life of Joseph. So Joseph was loved by his dad more than the rest of his brothers. He was born with a specific purpose to save not only his people, but the whole of Egypt from death. And Joseph had dreams one where his brothers would bow down to him one day and rule over them. His brothers were jealous of him, hated him and wanted him dead. He was, however, his father's favourite child and he even had a special colourful robe made for him. The brothers planned to murder him but sold him as a slave to an Egyptian official, a wealthy man called Potiphar. The brothers deceived their dad, Jacob, into thinking that Joseph had been killed by dipping his cloak into goat's blood and returning it to him. The father said, it's my son's robe. He thought he was dead. Meanwhile, Potiphar's wife began to flirt with Joseph and took a liking to him and tried to get him to sleep with her. Joseph repeatedly refused to do that. And after seemingly do doing the right thing, she then accused Joseph of rape and he was sent to prison. Now, while in prison, Joseph was given wisdom and was able to interpret dreams. He was in prison for 13 years and became an administrator whilst in there. Now, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker were also in prison and they remembered Joseph's ability to interpret dreams. One of them, who was the cupbearer, would get his job back within three days, which he did. So when Pharaoh had some crazy dreams of his own, the only person able to interpret those in the whole land was, of course, Joseph. There would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh was so impressed that at the age of just 30, Joseph was made prime minister of Egypt. He's now the second most important person in the whole land. Then famine strikes the whole region. And back in the land of Canaan, where Joseph was from, his brothers thinking that Joseph was dead, hear about the prime minister of Egypt who had fixed the famine problems. Egypt then, of course, is the only place to go and get food. So the brothers head off to Egypt. And then we come to today's reading where Joseph recognises his brothers when they arrive in Egypt. He's confronted with his past. 
with the terrible things that his brothers did to him, but they don't recognize him at all. They think he's dead. Joseph, however, he is filled with love and he demonstrated a move towards forgiveness and sent his brothers away free from guilt and shame. So let's see where we're up to today in Genesis chapter 42, verses 1 to 28. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept here in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all into custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This is what they proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account for his blood they did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep. 
but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, what a passage. There's so much in there. Now, what is forgiveness? It's probably a good place to start with today. Well, R.T. Kendall says this of forgiveness. Total forgiveness, he says, is a choice. It's not a feeling, at least at first, but it is rather an act of the will. It is a choice to tear up the record of wrongs we have been keeping. Now, my prayer for us all today is that we will draw inspiration from the life of Joseph and that we will all discover what it means to forgive. Now, do you know that forgiving others can be good for your health? When forgiveness is given, when forgiveness is received, it can release stress. Holding grudges can lead to personal illness, from being simply run down with a cold to more serious health problems. Psychologists say that children develop stronger bonds with people around them who practice forgiveness. You see, there are benefits to forgiving people and God intends it to be the way of life for his people. We forgive because we are forgiven through Jesus and his death on the cross. So we forgive because it's right to do that, but it's a choice. A pastor called Dane Ortland, he said this, it is interesting that the cumulative testimony of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that when Jesus sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering and not away from it. Isn't that interesting? How often do we move towards it? More often than not, we withdraw. Do you know that there are people around us, maybe even here today, whose lives could be completely transformed by you offering your forgiveness? Nelson Mandela was asked how he managed not to carry bitterness from all the years that he spent in prison. He said, bitterness only hurts oneself. And his strategy was simple. He said, if you hate, you will give them your heart and mind. Don't give those two things away. 
Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. You see, forgiveness is designed to be our posture as followers of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always easy. That's not what I'm saying. It does not mean that we won't struggle with it. But we can pray that we move towards it. So will we be people here at St. Thomas's that choose to move towards being a forgiving people? Now, there's so much we can cover in this topic. Today is simply a whistle-stop tour. And given that the time that we have together this morning, I just want to offer three books that you may want to pick up on and uh, have a read for yourself. The first one is this. It's um, Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. Cracking book. Absolutely love that. We've then got Forgive by Timothy Keller. Gentle and lowly. This Honestly, reading this is like having a bath with loads of bath bombs in. Beautiful. Three books. I'd encourage you to have a read of those. But today, we're going to look simply at the ABC of Forgiveness. You may want to write these down. You may have a fantastic memory. A, acknowledge the sin. B, be ready to forgive. And C, we're called to forgive. Firstly, acknowledging the sin. And if you've got the passage open, we're looking at verses one to nine. So imagine being Joseph in this situation, having to confront these people that planned to murder you. The people who sold you as a slave, the people who hated you. Joseph had to literally face these people that caused him so much hurt. Verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognised them. But he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. Now, it's obvious here, isn't it? Joseph's anger, his hurt, his sense of betrayal is coming out. He's carrying all of the usual feelings you'd expect to carry. How would you feel? I suspect we've all been on the receiving end of people's poor behaviour that has intended to cause us harm at, at times. I suspect many of us have been victims of being pushed aside, cast away. Maybe some of us here have been wronged by being falsely accused. Or even we've been punished because of something that wasn't even our fault. Joseph had lots to be bitter about. What his brothers had done to him by plotting to kill him and sell him as a slave. Joseph was then falsely accused of rape even though he chose to do the opposite and resist the temptation. And Joseph also had to navigate that God allowed all of this to happen, even though he remained loyal to God. Verses eight and nine, although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. 
Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. You see, Joseph's process here of forgiving his brothers first started with acknowledging the pain that his brothers had caused. Verse nine, he remembered his dreams about them. He remembered what they had done. He acknowledged that the sin that had been done towards him was there. Now, when it comes to forgiving sin, we first need to acknowledge that it exists rather than operate in a place of complete denial. Now, I suspect we all know that this can be difficult, perhaps because it's too painful for us to face and therefore it's easy for us to simply deny it ever happened. When I was um, a kid, we lived on this street where everyone in the summer was out messing around, annoying all the neighbours on the street. And in the winter, everyone was in people's houses causing chaos. As a parent today, I don't know how on earth that was allowed at the time because I would not allow it. However, it was the best time. And one of the things we did was hide and seek in people's houses. And uh, my best friend down the street was someone called Rachel. Not my wife, as it happens. It was another Rachel. And uh, we grew up together and um, it was fantastic. And this particular day we were doing a hide and seek. Uh, the whole family was involved and friends. And uh, I thought, I've got the perfect place to hide. I went upstairs into a bedroom and uh, it was really high ceilings, big, massive furniture. And in the room was a huge wardrobe. And uh, someone had already hidden in the wardrobe, uh, so that had already been done. But I thought, I'm going to go on top of the wardrobe. I climbed on the bunk beds and managed to get on the wardrobe. And it's, it felt like half an hour, but it was probably about three minutes. And no one could find me. And then all, I, I kind of adjusted myself and I laid down on top of this wardrobe and there was a ledge, so you, you couldn't see me from the, from the ground level. And all of a sudden, as I was adjusting my posture, the wardrobe began to move away from the wall. And all of a sudden, it literally went... I flew off. The wardrobe was now on the floor, smashed up. All the wood was everywhere. It was absolute chaos. The dad, Rachel's dad came up the stairs. What's that going on in here? By this time, I'd managed to stand up and I was stood in the corner of the room and he looked at me and said, what happened? I went, it just fell. <laughs> I just discovered that the room below was the dining room. There was a chandelier that had fallen off the ceiling, landed on the floor, smashed up. It just fell. I suppose this is my confession. At the time, I didn't acknowledge my sin in that circumstance, but it was a, it was a good game. R.T. Kendall also says this. He says about repressing what happened, which is kind of what I did. He said, if we don't really get rid of the pain, we push it down into the cellar of our subconsciousness. 
but it comes out into the loft of our lives. I.e., it always manifests itself somehow, whether through the physical, the emotional, the mental, or the spiritual ill health. You see, not acknowledging sin will always reappear. Scripture says in Numbers, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. We need to acknowledge the sin to be on the right path to forgiveness. Now, I just want to challenge this phrase that often we, we flippantly use, um, and it's to forgive and to forget. You see, to forget something that we need to pursue forgiveness for, it might just not be possible. Some of us have experienced significant trauma, and to flippantly assume that one can forget something like this is irresponsible, and nor is it entirely biblical. You see, using this phrase can put undue pressure on individuals to erase what's happened to them, perhaps leading into the realm of it didn't really happen, therefore leaving the reality of what has happened to go and dealt with. You see, acknowledging the gravity of what has happened paves the way for forgiveness. And that is why, friends, God's forgiveness for us is so remarkable, because he lavishes us in complete forgiveness. And at the same time, he remembers, he knows our sinfulness. Wow. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the excusable in you. God hasn't erased from his memory all of our sins it's a demonstration, however, of his love and his grace that despite knowing all of our sins in full, he still chooses to forgive us fully and not hold them against us. That's our God. Psalm 103, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. That's our God. He has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. That is our God. Joseph remembered he had to face being ready to forgive. He acknowledged the sin that was there. Secondly, we've got to be ready to forgive. Verses 10 to 17. You see, Joseph is on this journey of rationalizing what his next steps will be in this moment. There's no chance that these men are, these men are spies. Verse 10, no, my Lord, they answered, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. They claim to be honest men. Now, yes, many years have passed, so there's been time for transformation to happen. But what we know of them reading about them today is that they are not honest men at all. For Joseph, hearing his brothers call themselves honest men, this must have stimulated in him a whirlwind of emotions. It's a contradiction. He must have been thinking, how dare you refer to yourselves as honest men? Joseph put his brothers in prison for three days as a test to see if they were being honest. Now, Joseph had so much power in the land that if he was in any uh, doubt, he could have put them in prison for life. 
But Joseph is testing their character by doing this. And then he figures out, how can I be sure that they're honest men? So he keeps one brother in prison and tells the others to bring back their youngest brother. And he says, do this and you will live for I fear God. Now here we have Joseph offering his brothers the opportunity to show, show me that you have changed is what he's doing. Now, some of this narrative you might be thinking is harsh because it involves putting his own brothers into prison. But what he's actually doing here is he is showing mercy. He is leading his brothers into the way of repentance. He's actually showing care and concern for his family, despite what they have done to him. Scripture says, the one who rules righteously rules in the fear of God. And that is Joseph's posture, to act justly, to rule righteously. Why? Because he fears God. And he's getting ready to forgive his brothers. He's moving towards it. Now, you may ask, what is the alternative here? Well, a test of whether or not we are ready to forgive is the load of resentment we carry around with us. This often manifests itself as holding grudges against people, being bitter, being constantly preoccupied and having a sense of hate and self-pity. It becomes all-consuming. Instead of finding release from these things, it constantly winds us up. And one of our human responses is to take revenge. We make it our job to make sure that everyone knows what they have done. We keep other people prisoners of fear. They know that we can taint their reputation. So what do we do? But we keep them hostage to our power games. We gossip, we influence what others think of them. <sighs> it's not good. Joseph could have easily reacted like this. Maybe we would have done the same. And this is what the Apostle Paul precisely warns us against in Ephesians 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, God forgave you. Forgiveness, friends, is quite often a journey. It was for Joseph. Two decades had passed. His life circumstances had changed quite dramatically. And as we'll see over the next few weeks, it's going to take four or five more chapters of this narrative in Genesis before we see the fruit of forgiveness in terms of completely healed relationship between Joseph and his family. But here's the thing, because Joseph had been changed, he knew that forgiveness was his only response. So let me ask you, myself included, are we ready to forgive? What will be your posture? 
When I was young, 10 years old, in fact, 26 years ago, something occurred in my life that has stuck with me for all of those years. Someone wronged against me. And a week hasn't gone past in my life where I've not been reminded of it. I've not thought about it. It's always been there, but it's never been talked about. I've, ne- I've never really dealt with it face to face with this person. And a very short time ago, only a few weeks ago, this particular circumstances came up in conversation with this other person. And I was like, how on earth has this come up in this conversation? And let me tell you this, the grief, the hurt, the upset, the bitterness that I was carrying, the other person was carrying the guilt and the shame. It was just as vivid in their memory as it was in my own. And this was a holy moment. I was in a restaurant and I began to weep. I was so tearful, I couldn't stop myself crying. But you know what? It wasn't tears of sadness. It was tears of joy. And as I was crying, it just, it kept on coming and coming, but it was tears of healing. And I tried to say to the other people who were present, don't worry about me, this is a good thing. I'm just gonna let it run its course. I said, I'm absolutely fine. And in this moment, I was moving towards a posture of being able to forgive this other person. Once the tears had subsided, I turned to this person and looked them in the face. They're not a Christian, but I looked at them and I said, I forgive you. And that was one of the most profound moments of my life. And you know what? I felt completely released. It was like freedom had just made a way, not only for me, but for the other person. And you know what we're called? Each and every one of us, we are called to forgive. And this is what Joseph, he responded the same. Joseph weeps in verse 24. He turned away from his brothers and he began to weep. Why? Well, they were saying, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against that boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must account for his blood. And what Joseph is seen here in his brother's is a posture of repentance. Joseph is seeing the first signs of his brothers acknowledging the wrong that they had done. And Joseph weeps because he sees that. Now, this is the moment where he could have chosen to take revenge, but he doesn't. He chooses instead to bless them abundantly. Verse 25, what does he do? Joseph gave orders 
to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in their sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Joseph here responds very differently to how perhaps he would have responded as a 17-year-old boy when the wrong was done against him. Why does he respond differently? Because he spent time, 13 years in fact, in God's presence. And rather than turn away from God and get bitter, he turned to God in order to get better. Joseph had a choice. Tim Keller says this in his book, you know, forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cross, the cost. Friends, this is what Jesus has done for you and for me on the cross. Jesus himself bore the cost. He didn't have to forgive us, but he did. He sacrificed his son for us. In return, we are to extend our forgiveness towards other people because that's what Jesus asks us to do. Forgive those who sin against you. Joseph knows that he is called to forgive, to love his enemies. And our mandate, church, as Christians, is to forgive because we have been forgiven. Because we are forgiven, we choose to forgive. As we'll see in the next few weeks, Joseph cries a lot in the next few chapters of Genesis. Crying is a good thing. It can be healing. Tears of compassion, of understanding. And some of this will be his hurt coming out, as we'll see. But what Joseph knows is that this is all part of his personal journey of walking towards forgiveness. So as we come into land, Joseph is a shadow of Jesus. Who else betrayed, was betrayed by those who should have recognised him for who he was? Who else was sold for silver? Who else had to face false accusations? Who else was exalted to the highest place after being in the lowest place? Who else was full of compassion and mercy? Who else sent those who had sinned against him with plentiful, with more than they need? Who else forgave sinners whilst bearing his own cross? It is, of course, Jesus Christ. Even on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. We forgive because Jesus forgave. And the final challenge is this. If we choose to hold on to this unforgiving spirit, it so easily spoils our relationship 
with God. Don't do that. So here we have it. Modern question, ancient answer. Can you forgive? Yes. Will you choose to forgive? Only you can answer that. The ABC of forgiveness. We must acknowledge the sin. We must be ready to forgive. And we are called to forgive. If you're able, can I invite you to stand? I acknowledge that this is a heavy topic and um, it might be for you raise a whirlwind of emotion. You may not have been expecting to hear this message today or even expect to be remembering some of the things that you've had to experience and enjoy in your life. I believe the Lord wants to do a beautiful and intimate work in each and every one of us today. We don't really need to know each other's business in order for God to do that. He knows all things. And so if it's helpful, I just want to encourage you to close your eyes, to block out distractions as a sign of, okay, God, in this moment, I'm ready to deal with some stuff. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us today. We thank you that you are with us now. We welcome you into our hearts as our healer, as our comforter, as provider, as sustainer, as restorer, as the giver of life. And Holy Spirit, we just ask that in each and every one of us now, in this moment, that you would bring to our minds any acknowledgement that we need to make in order to forgive others. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to, to move among us, to rest on our shoulders, that in this moment where it may be raw, it may be tough for us to think about these things, it may upset us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are with us in this time. And church, begin to think about how you can posture yourself to be ready to move towards forgiveness. Quite often we know what we need to do. Most often 
it's very simple. It may be a face-to-face conversation. Maybe picking up the phone to someone. Going to see them. It may mean not avoiding that person anymore. Will you posture yourself to be ready to forgive them today? And as you do that, may you know that your mandate in life is to forgive because that is what Jesus has done for you. And it's the only way to live in the fullness of life.